Hi, I'm Michael Sunoff, founder and CEO of HardToFindSeminars.com. For the last five years, I've interviewed the world's best business and marketing minds. Along the way, I've created a successful publishing business, all from home, from my two-car garage. When my first child was born, he was very sick, and it was then that I knew I had to have a business that I could operate from home. Now my challenge is to build the world's largest free resource for online downloadable MP3 audio business interviews. I knew I needed a site that contained strategies, solutions, and inside angles to help you live better, to save and make more money, to stay healthier, and to get more out of life. I've learned a lot in the last five years, and today I'm going to show you the skills you need to survive. Hi, this is Michael Sinoff with HardToFindSeminars.com. Hold on to your seat because in the next 80 minutes, I have one of the most entertaining and insightful two-part interviews with who I call Uncle Mort. Uncle Mort is an 82-year-old Jewish guy from the Bronx, New York. He has a vast, extensive experience in selling business opportunities and franchise opportunities. He has a direct market. Marketing direct sales experience like no other. I think you'll find this educational, inspirational, and quite entertaining. We go through Mort's entire work history. This call cost me over $500. I paid him to do this interview. And if you have any questions and want to contact me about Uncle Mort, please email me at michael at hardtofindseminars.com. Enjoy. Picture you got a group of kids in front of you, but you're just talking to me. These kids have tons of desire. Some are from the city streets. Some are dead broke. Some want the financial independence. They want the secrets that's taken you 50 years in business to learn. And we're going to condense this into two hours the best we can. So I want you to tell me, what is your name? And if I was to say, well, who is Morty and what is your expertise? How would you answer that? I was born on the Lower East Side of New York from a poor family, and I progressed through life because I had a burning ambition to become somebody because of my poor background. Were your parents immigrants? Yeah. Where are they from? Russia. Okay. Do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have one brother that's alive, two that passed away. One is 88. He runs the bitter end in New York. He's still alive. I'm 81. Anyway, I went through the normal schools. I was probably a very, very shy child. In fact, I was so shy that many times I would pee in my pants before I could talk to any. Why do you think that is? Probably because I used to have to go in the hall to go to the toilet. When it was real cold, I would pee out the back window on the fourth floor walk-up that I lived in, the cold water flat, you know, things like that. All right. So anyway, when I got into the Navy, after the second night, that was knocked out of me when I had a fight when somebody called me a Jew bastard. Oh, your second night at the Navy? I was in the Navy in 1943 to 46. I was a CB in World War II. What's a CB? Construction battalion. There's a movie called The Fighting Seabees with John Wayne. Go look at it. It's the only movie about the Seabees, even though there's thousands about all the other services. Anyway, from that I got out. I got a job in General Tire Store. I got married, and I worked there for five years, and after three months I was the manager of the store. I was 22 years old. A couple of years later, my boss sold me his other location on Fordham Road, and I became General Tire at 26 years of age. And I was the first Vespa scooter dealer in the United States. What's a Vespa scooter? Vespa scooter is a two-wheel scooter.
due to that. When I bought them, they cost me 200 and some dollars today. Wholesale was 3000 It's a very popular mode of operation, which in Italy and in foreign countries is gigantic. Here, it's now very popular because that scooter will get 150 miles to a gallon and do 60 miles an hour. And the company's still around. Where were they manufacturers? in Italy. Oh, they're Italy. So did you buy a franchise to that? No, I didn't buy a franchise. I bought four scooters from a wine company in Brooklyn. Nobody even knew about it. That's why I say I was the first best scooter dealer in America. Surreptitiously. Okay. Was your general tire business doing well? It was doing okay, but I was in the wrong neighborhood for my place because the guy told me of an operation that couldn't really succeed. That's why he sold it to me, so he could get out of it. Whatever. He should rest in peace, though. So that was like your first experience buying a bad business, basically. Not really. I learned an awful lot. Yeah, I learned a tremendous amount. Anyway, after that, I kicked around in a number of jobs, etc., etc., and then I finally answered an ad, and I was doing part-time sales at night. What were you selling? I sold home improvements. I sold Baby Butler. Door to door? Yep, in Harlem. Every time I needed money, I would go to Harlem on Saturday and make $200. And I sold wherever pots, and I sold, oh, so many things, Kirby vacuum cleaners. Oh, yeah, and then I was selling for Rotobroil. You know the guy that got killed on the Achille Lauro? No. You know, that's the Jewish guy in the wheelchair that was shot and thrown off the ship about 10 years ago. Tell me about him. Two brothers, Alan Leon Klinghoffer, and it was just on TV again. They had the movie. But anyway, I worked for them, and it was a reducing machine that they made. It was a reducing division called Samson Electric. And one day, they asked me to train other salesmen. And I said, why? Well, you're selling nine out of ten people you see, so we'd like to train other salesmen. I said, what are you going to pay me? He said, why should we pay you? I said, well, this was at night after I brought in my sales. This was in Long Island City. So you were selling nine out of ten people and they wanted you to teach other salesmen how to do what you were doing. Yeah. All right. So then they said, why should we pay you? So I said, well, that guy over there, what does he do? Well, he's the advertising director. I said, what do you pay him? 35000 a year. Why do you give him that much money? For what he knows. You want me to use what I know to teach your people how to sell like I can sell, and you don't want to pay me? And I told them right out, I said, you guys can go fuck yourselves. <laughs> yes. And I talked that way. You know, when I was in the Navy, that's all I said. Okay, and what did they say? They said, well, why are you so up in here? Because you're crazy. Why don't you just make me an offer I can live with? So we don't want to. I said, oh, fuck you. And I walked out. Then what happened, and this is very apropos of my knowledge. One day, Don Goody, who was a sales manager, said to me, have I got news for you? I said, what? He said, you're going to make a ton of money. I said, that's great. How am I going to make a ton of money? He said, we're going to put a full page ad in the Sunday news. I said, really? What price are you going to put in? Two ninety-five. I said, well, let me tell you what's going to happen. Number one, you're not going to sell many. Number two, you're going to fuck up all the reasons why you can sell it in the home. Oh, what do you know? I said, all right, whatever. How were you going to make a ton of money? I was going to get all these leads. I see. Now, the machine sold for two ninety five In the home? Yeah. The competitor, which was Exocycle. Exocycle was the main one. We were the Rotocycle, which was a knockoff of the Exocycle. Exocycle was, I think, five ninety five or six ninety five. We were getting two ninety five dollars it was junk, but it did the same job. What year was this about? 1958. And they advertised on WHN in New York. They ran the full page ads. And you told them what? I said, look, we have a bunch of leads from Dr. Carlton Fredericks in New Jersey, Philadelphia, and Baltimore. They had a Thames Ford truck. It was called Thames from England, but it's a Ford. So I said, why don't I load up the truck with as many machines as I could put in and see what I can do over the weekend. Now, I left Friday morning. I had six machines in the truck. I took the leads, 
and I came back Saturday afternoon. I never got to Baltimore. Furthest I got was Philadelphia. In a day and a half, I sold seven machines. How would you sell them? What would you say? I had a trick. My trick was very simple. When I go into the home, I had a very professional appearance. I would not fool around. I would go into the bathroom to see what other products they had purchased from Dr. Carlton Fredericks. I used a professional demeanor, and I said at the beginning of the presentation that the machine cost $595, and I didn't say a word about the price anymore. I was very professional. I knew some medical terms. I used many medical terms that I looked up. I learned about the business. So now I did about a one-hour presentation, let them try the machine, showed them what would work, what wouldn't work, what they couldn't do, what they could do. And this is all for losing weight, right? No, for exercising, for stimulation, for more. More than just losing weight, it's sort of building your body back up. Was this your own presentation that you developed, or was this something that the company had developed? Well, they didn't know what the fuck they would do. I developed it. So these leads were responding from this other company. Were these people sick, or was it just for exercise back no, then? Or? Dr. Carlton Fredericks was a homeopathic nut, and they sold all kinds of vitamins and placebos and a lot of other things. So they advertised on that program, and they got a lot of inquiries. So then we went to fulfill the inquiries. So they thought they would do better by advertising in the paper. I sold seven machines in two days. I then went into the office to find out what they sold in five stores, because that's what the ad was. It was Macy's in New York. You've heard of Macy's? Yeah, so they were putting the machines in Macy's. Right, Macy's in New York, Macy's Parkchester, Macy's Kings Point, Macy's Bamburgers in Jersey, and one other store. There were five stores. I sold seven. How many do you think they sold in the five store? One. No, they sold three. They sold three at 300? Yeah. Sold it at 300 also. Before I left, I said, listen, you people are so nice. I'm going to do something special for you. If you let me leave this machine, I'm going to master as a demonstrator and only sell it to you for $295. I never missed. Because they thought they were getting such a deal. That's right. It's right. Just that expression. Such a deal I got for you, baby. And that's what happened. I did the same thing right after that with another company. All right. You didn't tell these guys how you did it, did you? Nope. Never. Okay. So how'd they treat you when you came back and you sold seven and they sold three? What'd they say? Hey, shit, a brick. Because I said I quit. <laughs> oh, you quit right then. They said, you guys are stupid. And I said, I can't work for stupid people. I meant that. Cannot work for stupid people. So how long were you there for? I was there for like six months. So what kind of commission did they pay you? I know it's 50 or $60 a machine, 30%. Did you enjoy selling in the home direct sales? Oh, I love it. Oh, are you kidding? I did swimming pools. I did baby butler. Tell me what baby butler is. I've heard of it. Baby butler is a little table that the kid sits in that he can't fall out of. Oh, I got you. Like a high chair. Yeah, how about this one? When I needed money, I went to wherever. So they gave me a set of pots to sell. So they put me in Harlem, in the Spanish neighborhood. So I knock on doors, and they start talking to me in Spanish. So I went to a friend of mine. I said, teach me a couple of words in Spanish. And he said, what do you want to know? I said, teach me a buck a week. He said, un peso semana. All right, so your buddy's teaching you some words in Spanish. Okay, so now he said, teach me to say sign here. So he taught me, escribe aquí. So all he taught me. Now I knock on the door, and I'm holding up the pot now. I got the pot in my hand. One pot. One pot, holding it up in my hand. These people never seen a pot like this at that time? What the fuck do I know? <laughs> I hold up the pot, knock on the door, they open the door. Que pasa? You know, what is it? I said, un peso semana. Come in. I come in, I show them the papers, I show them the set of pots. I say, un peso semana. Now we take out a dollar. I said, I pay first week. And they say, oh, that's good. I say, escribe aquí. Sign it. And the pot sold for $50. I got 20 bucks. 
That's it. Yep. I became the top salesman. <laughs> the top salesman in the company? In that division, yeah. And that was your presentation? Yeah. So what's the moral in that? Less is more sometimes. That's right. Just get to the heart of the thing. Never go past the close. How long were you doing that? Oh, six months, and then I got tired. <laughs> so you made some good money? Yeah, I made decent money. I made a living. You know, at that time, you made 80 bucks a week. You made a fortune. So did you ever consider doing a regular job rather than direct sales? I got a job. I didn't like it. I worked at a tire company because I had the tire experience from my business. I worked for a tire company. I was the manager. That's right, before you owned the other one. Yeah, so anyway, before I did all of this other stuff. So you did that for six months. You became number one salesman. Did you stick with just the Spanish? Yeah, because I had it down pat. You also sold home improvements. I did a lot of other things. That's before. Let me ask you this before you get to that. If you were to tell these kids who are hungry with no experience, how important was this direct sales experience for the success in your career? Would you recommend that they do it? Definitely. Is there anything better for training? No. So you tell them to get off their ass, go look in the paper. Let me tell you something. My father told me to learn a trade. When we were younger, my father said, learn a trade, you'll always have a job. Now, this is the moral of the story. I learned a trade. I became an airplane mechanic. When I went into the service as an airplane mechanic, I left a very good job in Deep River, Connecticut, when I was foreman on the night shift, over 300 people, when I was 18 years old. And I left because the flag was being waved, and I quit. I didn't have to leave because I was deferred because I was a and the only way I could get drafted or join up was to quit. And I was working 12 to 14 hours a day, seven days a week. And after seven weeks, I couldn't take it anymore. I said, I don't need this. I said, I'd rather be in the service and fight for my country like a schmuck. If I'd have stayed there, I'd owned half of Connecticut. Anyway, I did. So when I went into the service, what do you think they made me? They made me a ship serviceman tailor. I sewed on a sewing machine. Oh, they made you a tailor. A tailor, yeah. I was a ship serviceman tailor. And I made a lot of money doing that. Besides that, I had a photography shop and a few other businesses. And you could do that? No problem? I didn't give a fuck what I did. Because the offices were my buddies. I used to do them favors. Get away with anything. In fact, I got away with something. They wanted to put me in a break. I went to the commander of the battalion, and he told my lieutenant to leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm serious. I threatened to kill him after the war, by the way. And every time we went to a reunion, when I was there, he wouldn't be there. And for 25 years, he never showed up at the few that I was there. He was always at the other one. And he was six foot two, and I'm five foot four. Because he knew I meant it. And I'll tell you the story someday. Let me just read directly. You were telling me how your dad said, get a trade. Get a trade. So I learned a trade. And the trade was no good for me, because I didn't like it. I liked being an airplane mechanic, because I had visions of becoming an aeronautical engineer. So anyway, when I got out of the service, I went for the GI Bill, I went to apply for college, and I applied for Columbia Law School. I passed the test for Columbia Law School, I went down to enroll, she said, I can't. I said, why not? She said, well, you went to a vocational school. So I said, what does that got to do with it? Well, you have points, and you can't do this, you can't do that. Anyway, I wound up going to Pace College. At the time, it was Pace Institute, it became Pace College, it's now Pace University, which is a very prestigious school. So I went there, which was marketing, advertising, and selling, and some accounting. So I have a pretty good background for all of those, too. So anyway, with my father, when I went to the next job, which is what I'm going to come to, which is the swimming pools, 
Was your wherever in the exercise cycle before this? No, the wherever the exercise was last, before I got into the swimming pool. All right, so swimming pools was before? No, the swimming pools was after, after the, the wherever cycle. Okay. The rotor cycle. Okay, go ahead. Then I went to apply for this swimming pool salesman's job, and there were about seven people at the interview, and they didn't like me because I knew too much, I guess. I don't know. So they wouldn't hire me. So I'm a little different. I called them up every day for 30 days straight. What did you say? They said, no, 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 no. Finally, I found out from the partner that the guy I was talking to told the partner, he said, Bill, take this guy out on the road and lose him. This guy's a pain in the ass. So they took me out on the road, and the deal was the first week, after expenses, I get half the commission. I said, fine. So the guy made two pitches, one in Roanoke, Virginia, and one in Winston-Salem. To sell a swimming pool? Yeah, a swimming pool. And you were with him? Yeah. He was showing you how to do it, supposedly. Yeah, he was in Winston-Salem or whatever it was. So I said, listen, you want to drink with these guys, but I'm not a drinker. So why don't I take the car, drive down to Charlotte, and see what I can do? He says, you're pretty cocky. I said, well, the worst I can do is fuck it up, right? He said, yeah. He said, take the car. I left at 1 o'clock. It's a 90-mile drive to Charlotte. And you had a lead down there? Yeah, two weeks. I went down there. And I called him back at 5 o'clock. I said, I got the guy's money. What do you want me to do? How much was the swimming pool? How much at the time was like 600 bucks. But the guy got a little territory. He bought a pool, which was another 600 for the territory, and then 700 for the pool. So it was like $1,300, So what did the guy say when you told him? That's pretty good. Now, this is no advance, no salary, no draw, just leads. The first week I went out, and I made $2,400 in commission. <laughs> okay. How many pools did you sell? I sold four or five deals. They couldn't understand how I could sell that many deals in five days. All right. How'd you do it? Tell me. Well, I have a formula. I would make my appointments before I go out. Then I would make my sale. Instead of doing like most salesmen do, go to the bar and drink, I would spend that night making my appointments for the next day. And then I would take an hour's sleep and I would drive all night to go to the next town. So you worked harder than the other guys? Naturally. I could sell five, six deals in a week. Everybody else could sell five, six deals. It would take two, three weeks. Were you closing a higher percentage, do you think? I closed everybody. You gave me a secret with the exercise by discounting at the very end. Did you have a technique that worked for swimming pools? Yeah, swimming pools was an in thing at the time. And I'm a very personable salesperson. It wasn't that hard to sell. If you've got a qualified lead, they pretty much want the damn thing. Well, if you're sincere and you put on a real nice presentation and you don't be a wise guy and you listen to the people and there's certain questions you ask them to precipitate a certain answer, when you ask them the certain questions, they will tell you why they want to buy something. So being a good listener is important. Absolutely. Listen, later on, I used to ask him 20 questions. I said, do you mind playing 20 questions with me? Sure, why not? In a presentation you do this? Yeah, in the beginning. I asked him a couple of questions, and I asked him how much money they have to invest, and I go into a few other things. And if I get the wrong answer on some of those questions, I send them home. I say, forget it. This is not for you. I once had a guy in northeastern part of Indiana who wanted to go through my whole pitch book, which showed other different types of pools. I said, let me tell you about our pool. Well, tell me about this one. I don't want to. Let me tell you how you make money and what we do. Finally, he got me so pissed off. I said, would you do me a favor? He said, what? I said, go home. He said, why? I said, there's a comic strip I want to watch on TV. So he called up the next day to complain, and I was back already. So they gave him to the complaint department, which was me. <laughs> Don't laugh. And so when he got finished with his complaint, I said, you know, you're very lucky. He said, why am I lucky? I said, when Miss B has an idiot like you, he usually kicks him in the ass on the way out the door. <laughs> this happens to be the executive vice president of the company and his knowledge imparted to you would have made you a lot of money. By the way, in that swimming pool business, I made 20 multi-millionaires. Now, 
you got to correct me. I thought you were a sales and selling swimming pools. Were you selling a biz op? Wait a minute. I was selling a biz op for swimming pools. No, oh, I didn't know that. No, I was selling a biz op for swimming pools. Okay, well, what was the biz op? They became a dealer for pools. They bought pools from us, and then they became a dealer. Wholesale from us. Got it. So, okay, I didn't realize you were selling it, it, biz op. Three months later, they made me a partner. Oh. Public company, and I was a partner in the public company. Because you were able to sell so many biz ops? Because I was smarter than all of them. I learned more about swimming pools than they knew. Whenever there was a problem in swimming pools, they came to me. Were these above-ground pools? First was the below ground, then we went into above ground, and then we were selling department stores. So was this your first experience selling a biz op? Yeah. And you've stuck with biz ops and franchise-type deals? That, that was it for the rest of my life. 1960 on. Oh, this was the foundation. So you told me you had a formula. When you're selling a biz op, and you've done this since 1969, what's the formula? The formula I don't tell anybody. Oh, you don't? Okay. No way. When I did that, the swimming pool company, I was just a salesman. There were many opportunities that I could have made a lot of money on the side, and I wouldn't do it because I was part of the company, which was wrong of me, because there were many opportunities for me to make a lot of extra money on the side that I had to force them to do. At one time, there was a thing with cue sticks for the pool tables. Some guy came in to sell us about 100,000 cue sticks that were from Italy. We've got to set the stage. All right, the swimming pool, we're pretty much finished. You were selling biz ops for swimming pool. They made you a partner. What happened with the company? How long were you with them? Seven years. When you started? When I started, their gross volume was 300000 When I left, it was something like $17 million. $17 million. I was responsible for all the sales. Were you selling them all over the country? Yeah. So you were traveling all over the country? Yeah, we had dealers all over. We used to have symposiums. We had meetings. They would come to the factory. The factory was two buildings that were 30,000 feet square and a third building that we had 12,000 feet in. That was our factory. So back in those days, how were things regulated? Selling biz ops today, is it a lot different? It's a lot different. There's more rules and regulations. All right, so selling biz ops back then is easier, right? It's easy now, too, if you know what you're doing. What we did with the swimming pool, we started with below-ground pools, then we went into above-ground pools, then we made cabanas, then we made pool tables. So then we had a year-round business. Then we had a factory up in Batavia, New York, and we had a 100,000-square-foot factory. Were you basically running the whole thing? No, I was the executive vice president, but I had everything to do with sales. I was running the whole thing. We would never have gone out of business. Out of all the dealers you guys signed up, how many were active in the dealership and actually productive for the company? When you sold the biz op, I mean, obviously, everyone who buys a biz op doesn't do anything. Swimming pool business? Yeah. Everyone was active. Some made more money than others, but they were all active and they all made some money. Twenty of them became multimillionaires. The lowest one, he sold like eight pools. For him, was a living. So okay. 20 of them became multimillionaires with your business? Twenty became multimillionaires. You want their names? I'll give them to you. No, no, no. One of them called me up a few years ago from Bradenton, Florida, out of the clear blue sky. And I said, what's the call for? And he was from Dayton, Ohio. He was an ex-football player. He used to be a home builder. And he was stuck with three homes. So when I went out there to try to get him to become a dealer, I said, I'll tell you what. You buy three pools from me, and I'll show you how to get rid of your houses. So he said, what do I have to do? I said, you have to buy three houses, put them in the ground and advertise your homes with a swimming pool. You know how fast he sold those houses? Within three months, they were all gone.
You think that would stand true today? Yeah, that would stand true today. People like a house with a pool. They like a house with a pool. But anyway, the point is, he called me up to thank me. I said, well, what's the occasion? He said, I'm marrying my daughter. You were good to me all through the years. You helped me when my son got shot by a cop. You did this to me. You did that to me. But the biggest thing is you made me a multimillionaire, and I want to thank you for all the things you've done to me all my life. And I cried. He called you how long ago? About five, six, seven years ago. Oh, that's great. And he was the only one of the 20 guys that called me. Oh, that's nice. It was the only one that did that. How did you make him a multimillionaire? Did he buy a biz up? He bought the biz up and he listened to everything I told him to do, the advertising and everything. I had one guy in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who didn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. He had a location on Route 8 in Gibsonia, and it was on the top of the hill, and he had a lousy display. So he called me up. I drove out there, and I climbed a ladder on top of this little shack that he had, and I said, you want to be successful? He said, yeah. I said, you got to do everything I tell you. So I made him re landscape the area. I made him put up a fence, and then I said, the next thing we're going to do is you've got a 40-foot pool, and you have a 32-foot boat. I want you to get a crane. I want you to put your 30 two-foot boat in the pool. Jimmy did it? Yep. Four accidents on the road that day with some <laughs> television. Police came by, made him take the boat out of the pool, but he was made. He sold, uh, I think, 180 pools the first year. Because of all the media attention? Of course. Are you kidding? Background is media. I know what to do. Any other stunts like that you can think of? Crazy promotion? I, I, there's a bunch of them, but I don't remember all of them right now. Can you think of any other one? Well, once when we had an exhibit at our showroom. For the pools? Yeah. I jumped in the pool with all my clothes on. <laughs> yeah. Then I used to go into the pool with a scuba outfit on and go to sleep. <laughs> People thought you were dead. Yeah. So one day there was a woman in the showroom, and I started to wake up, and she got hysterical. <laughs> I said, no, it's just Mr. Colby resting. <laughs> uh, that's funny. One day I bought three Thunderbirds. In 1964, I called up in August when they first came out. I called up the automobile dealers in Long Island. Babylon Ford was the first one. I said, I want to buy three Thunderbirds. And the guy hung up on me. Then I called up a couple other people. I said, yeah, sure. One guy said, are you for real? I said, yeah, come over. You'll find out. So one guy came over. And he said, you want to buy three tons of it? I said, listen, I don't have a lot of time to waste. It's our busy season. I'll give you one shot. Give me the right price. I'll give you a check for the three Thunderbirds right now. He said, let me call the office. He calls the office. He comes back and says, how's 500 over tissue? And I said, that's without any bullshit. He said, right. How much is the car? He came out to check with just about 10000 for the three cars. The car listed for $5,800. That's $16,000. No, it was a little over 10000 So I bought the cars that afternoon. That afternoon, they delivered the white one. There were three of us. The next morning, they delivered the blue one. I wanted a red one. I had to wait 30 days because I had to make it. As they're delivering the blue one, the guy from Babylon Ford calls up. I hear you want to buy three Thunderbirds. I said, I did, but I bought them yesterday. But are you kidding me? I said, listen, schmuck. I said, if you had some brains, you'd be not the manager. You'd be the fucking owner. They said, why? I said, first of all, they delivered one yesterday. They delivered the second one today. And the third one, I have to wait 30 days. Yeah, full of shit. I said, listen, putz, I own this company. What I own here, which is probably worth about four or five million dollars against whatever you got in your pocket that I'm right and you're wrong. So he got insulted. He hung up. That's funny. All right. Did you get your red one? Yeah, I got it 30 days later. Did that swimming pool business make you a millionaire? Made me a lot of money. Public company made me a lot of money, learned me a lot of tricks, and I've had public companies after that. They'd have this swimming pool company end. 
it ended up being taken over by a bank because the fucking idiot that was the president wouldn't listen to me. We were doing fine with the pool tables in the same factory, but then somebody gave him an idea to open one in Batavia because he was getting government money. So he opened up that factory in Batavia, so we took a seasonal business, made it a year-round business, then turned it into two seasonal businesses. You don't do that. And at the time, I was taking management courses at Columbia University and a couple other universities at night. I was driving in from Long Island to take these courses, and I brought it up to the professor. One of the professors was the president of Metropolitan Life, and the other one was the dean of the school. What did they say? They said, don't do it. So when I came back and said, don't do it, you're destroying what we're doing. No, it'll be all right. And I couldn't fight. There were three of us, and there was two against one, and they fucked up the business. How did you like this? The year we went out of business, we made $580,000 profit in the pool business. But we lost $2 million in the pool table business because of the digression of what... Now, what happened to all the dealers all over the country? They started buying from somebody else. One guy was smart. After the second year, he opened his own factory. Were there other swimming pool and pool table manufacturers? Yeah, well, a lot of them. All right, so the dealers could just get a different supplier. Different supplier, the same with the pool. On your biz op, were they under contract to buy from you? That's what my boss didn't do right. I said, you're letting them take their own name. See, they didn't know as much about marketing as I did. I said, they have to use our name. And if they don't use our name, then they lose the exclusivity. That would have tied them down like a rock. And he said, nah, it's okay. I mean, he was very casual about it. I'm serious. Because I fought with them all the time about that. Because once they're established, they could go to anybody and... Thank you very much. They just compete on price. Thank you. Is that what happened with a lot of dealers? Yeah. A franchise would give you... No franchise fee, just buy equipment. And he was stupid. We were Merritt Associates, Easy Do Pool Division. Now, what I said, they should be Easy Do Pools of Waterloo, Easy Do Pools of Chicago, Easy Do Pools of this town. And then that name is our name. Trademarked by us. And this fuck wouldn't listen to me. Were there franchises back then? Yes. What franchises? Not many of them, though, were there? Oh, there were plenty of franchises then. There was McDonald's. I had a packet of all the franchise agreements. I must have had 500 different franchise agreements. I loaned them to somebody, and he never gave it back to me. Okay, so what did you do after the pools? I became an independent contractor until I got involved in doing my own thing. Right after that, I invented the mobile dog grooming business. Mobile dog grooming business? Yeah. Were you the starter of that thing? I invented it. I got the patent. Tell me about that. You own a patent on that? Or you did? It's gone now. Oh, how did this whole idea start? I sent a poodle. I sent the poodle to the grooming parlor, and she came back and ran under the bed. So I examined her and saw she was cut up and she was in pain, and I said, there's got to be a better way. So I just find a better way. So you had the groomer come out to the house? Right, in the truck, which I designed the truck. I not only designed the truck, I designed the interior of the truck. I designed the dog food, the cat food, the skin and coat conditioner. I designed the label of the truck. So what was it called? Ultra Pet. What kind of patent did you get on? A design patent on the design of the truck? Yep. The inside? Yep. What was unique about it? Well, the size of the grooming table, the size of the grooming area, the fact that it carried its own water, the fact that it had an own air conditioner in it, the people could watch their dog being groomed by sitting in the front. Who did you have make these things for you? Some guy in Michigan, and he made one and sent it to us, and it was wrong. So I got mad, and I got in the truck, called my wife to pack some clothes for me. I came home, got my clothes, took some lunch with me, and I drove all night to get there to Michigan, and I was there the next morning. And then I said, you've got a number of problems here, which is not accurate. So what's that? I said, well, one of the problems is if the water pump breaks down, you have to disassemble the whole truck to get at it. He says, use dynamite. I said, listen, fuck. 
go get your boss out here and don't talk to me anymore, or I'll kill you. I said, I just spent $10,000 for you to design this truck, and you don't want your ass from a hole in the ground. So they came out, and I spent three days with them redesigning the truck. I still have the newspaper article in the Sunday News Rotogravure edition, where I have four pages in it. On your whole truck and your patent and everything? Yeah. It was written up in every newspaper in the world. What was the truck called? The Ultra Pet Groom Mobile. Ultra Pet Groom Mobile. Yeah. It was written up in every newspaper in the world, including La Prensa, La Figaro. You named the paper. There was an article about my patent. Those franchises, then. Oh, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. What was your ultimate plan? My ultimate plan was, you know, PetSmart? Yeah. That was my ultimate plan. Get into PetSmart. Well, no, it was my plan to be PetSmart. Oh, uh, PetSmart, like a whole store for pets. Yeah, we were starting with the mobile. But my business plan generated from the mobile to manufacturing the dog food, manufacturing the cat food, manufacturing all the other paraphernalia, and having stores all over the country. That was my business plan. I had no money, but I had a partner. I had a choice of the mafia or a stockbroker. So I made a mistake and I took the stockbroker, who screwed me royally. So for two years, I broke my ass to start out. How'd you get screwed? What happened? Oh, well, what's the lesson? Tell you later. All right. I wound up with six trucks running. I had 15,000 customers. I was on television. Were you running this all yourself? Yeah, I had people working for me, but I was running it. And so you had 15,000 customers doing their pets? Yeah, all over New York and Long Island. And I did the show with Gary Moore, To Tell the Truth. Okay, To Tell the Truth TV show? Yeah, and Kitty Callan asked me a question. What do you do with dogs that bite? I said, we don't do dogs that bite. And I said it so matter-of-factly, she was the only one who guessed me. Oh, really? This is the Tell the Truth show, the TV Tell show. The truth, yeah. You were on there, so they said one of these guys is the inventor of the mobile pet truck or something. Right. All right, and she guessed you. Yeah, nobody else guessed me. So I was so good that they ran it as a summer rerun, so I got two St. Mary's electric blankets instead of one. So we got a lot of publicity from that. But the point is, it was a great business, and we were supposed to do a public underwriting. You mm -hmm. know what a guaranteed underwriting is? No, tell me. Guaranteed underwriting is when everything goes through the SEC, and the SEC says it's okay to sell, and the underwriter calls you up and says, okay, we're ready to go, everything okay? You say, okay. He has to send you a check for 880000 because it was a million-dollar guaranteed underwriting. Now, my partner was a stockbroker who had a very nice father, but the kid was nice, he was bright, but he was stupid. He was college educated, but he was not an entrepreneur. He's not a businessman. He had screwed up 12 businesses. Father said to me, make a mensch out of my son, who is Jewish, like me. So I said, listen, I can make a mensch out of him if you tell him to leave me alone and stop bothering me because I know what I'm doing. I'm building up this business, and if we run it right, we'll make a fortune the way I had it planned. So anyway, he was a real ball buster. So when we got the call from the underwriter, because it was approved by the SEC, he gets the call from the underwriter, and the underwriter says, okay, we're all set to go. Make sure you take care of your share of the aftermarket. You know what that is? No, what? When you do an underwriting, there are people that you put in immediately. The aftermarket is who takes them out. It's called the aftermarket. So this idiot says to the underwriter, I'm not sure I can take care of my whole share of the aftermarket. So the guy just said, forget about it, hung up. So he started to blame me. I said, what does it got to do with me? I said, you lied to me for two years. You beat me out of some stock, which I didn't want you to. And you couldn't lie to him for one more minute. Just say the word okay. 
and we would have got the check. I sold four or five franchises that were all successful. You lied to me for two years. I've been coming in since 7 o'clock to 10 o'clock every day for six days a week, busting my hump, built this thing up from one truck to six trucks, where we now have 15,000 customers, and you're blaming me for what you couldn't just say the word, okay? And I got furious. I said, do me a favor, buy me out, do whatever the fuck you want with this company. I can't handle it anymore. And did he so, buy you out? Yeah, he gave me $75,000. But the point is, at the closing, he says, we're going to now make money. We're going to get rid of you because you've been in our way all along. I said, fine, do whatever the fuck you want. Did that sour you on working with partners? Not really, but it should have because it wasn't a good enough lesson for me. Six months later, they were out of business. Hey, you know what they were doing? Did someone knock it off and continue the whole idea? Because I got a mobile pet truck right in front Everybody of my house. They knocked it off all over the country. You were the father of the mobile... So what? But I was the father of it. That's I cool. I have the article from the New York Times. All right, that's great. Yeah. All right, very good. They were out of business in six months? Yeah, six months after I left, they were gone. And the groomers, each one bought their own truck. And some of them are still in business. That's the end of part one with Uncle Mort. Please continue to part two.